Thanks so much for tuning into this message today. My name is Pastor Joey McLaughlin, and the heartbeat of Elevate City Church is to help people know Jesus, follow Jesus, and lead others to do the same. And we spend seasons focusing on those three ideas. And right now, we're in a follow season. We want to help you follow Jesus like never before, help you live in his ways and practice his teachings. And so in this next message, that's what you're going to discover, how to be a disciple who makes disciples for Jesus. If this message is inspiring for you, we would love it if you'd hit that subscribe button so you can get the most up-to-date Elevate City content. And you can also give in the link below to get this message in front of more people. My prayer is that you are inspired and challenged today. Be blessed. Don't, don't, don't sit down yet. Don't sit down yet. We got some business to do. Um, if you have your Bible, 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, I want to read this story for you today. And I want us to stand in the honor of reading God's word as we do it. Second Chronicles, if you don't know, before it was called Chronicles, this, uh, this book was called The Stories and the Sayings. I love that, don't you? The stories and the sayings of God's people. I love that we're a part of a movement that's got thousands of years of stories and sayings that sustain our faith, amen? I wanna read one of those stories today. Second Chronicles chapter 20 says this. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites and with them some of the Meunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, there in Hazan Tamar, that is the Injeti, then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah. They came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, oh Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. I love this. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in a sanctuary for your name saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you for your name is in this house. And we will cry out in our affliction and will hear and save and now behold, the men of the Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? And here it is, for we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I wanna preach a message for you today, Elevate City, titled, We Don't Know What To Do, But Our Eyes Are On You. You can go ahead and grab a seat today, church. Have you ever found yourself there before? in a place where you really and truly didn't know what to do when you looked up and saw that what was coming against you was so tough that you're like, I don't know how I'm gonna make it out of this. Like, I really think like this time I'm going to die, you know? Like, I haven't just convinced myself on WebMD that this is the end, this is actually the end. Have you ever been there? One of those situations in life where you're just like, I don't know what to do. Really the last two years feel like just one gigantic, I don't know what to do for the world at large, amen? Like, I don't know what to do about COVID. 
and I don't know what to do about the economy, and I don't know what to do about this election, and I don't know what to do about my job, and I don't know what to do about the vaccine, and I don't know what to do about my kid's school, and I don't know what to do about this relationship. I don't know what to do. My back is against the wall, and I've got nowhere left to go. If you've never found yourself in that situation before, then you're probably like eight, okay? Because the only logical explanation, it's coming for you eventually where you're gonna find yourself just stressed and anxious and worried and overwhelmed and feeling like you've got no clue what to do. If you haven't been there before, then you're probably not married, okay? If you're married, you very quickly find yourself in a situation when you don't know what to do. Whenever your wife asks you a question that starts with so, you don't know what to do. If she goes, so you are going to go and play golf and leave me here with these three children. Yeah, yes, no, yes, I don't know. I don't know what to do. What do you want me to do? It won't take long for you to find yourself in a situation where you don't know what to do. So is life. It's just a part of the human experience. But there come those moments, those days, those situations where it's not just a little situation, but it feels like so intense that, that it feels like life or death. It feels like a battle. Elevate City, I'm here to tell you today that our church, Elevate City Church, finds ourselves in a situation that's very similar to the people of Judah in 2 Chronicles, where a battle is coming, and, and it's something that happened quick, it's something that happened unexpected, something that came out of nowhere, and to be totally transparent, we have strategized and planned and done everything we thought that we could do, but we don't know what to do. Like we are so out of options that this Monday morning I at 4 a.m. woke up because I could not sleep and I was just on my knees and on my face before the Lord in total transparency with tears coming down my face. Praying for our church and going, God, what do you want me to do? I don't know what to do. I've got no more tricks up my sleeve. I've got no more plans or strategy. They didn't teach me this in Bible college. I don't know what to do. You know, in the story in Second Chronicles, we see this king who finds himself in a place of absolute desperation, a place where he has no idea what to do. The king is King Jehoshaphat, and by the way, that's like a terrible name. Can, we, can I get an amen? Like, I don't know if he like grew up a little chubby, you know, a little bit like Biggie Smalls, got the nickname Notorious J-O-P, you know what I'm saying? Or maybe his parents just hated him, right? But like, he's got a terrible name, but man, he was a good king. We see in 2 Chronicles chapter 17 that he restored, reformed Jerusalem, the people of God that he brought reform to. We see that he was a man of, uh, with, with a heart of courage before the Lord and that he led the people of God with wisdom. He was a good king who found himself in a terrible situation. A battle was brewing. There was something that was on the horizon that he could do nothing about. We see that the king receives a report from some of his closest advisors that not one, not two, but three nations, the Ammonites and the Meunites and the Moabites have come together and they're coming to attack him. He's being attacked. His kingdom is being invaded by three rival nations. Now, any one of these nations would have been a formidable opponent for the people of God. They would have been so dangerous, so equipped that the people of God would have probably lost the battle. It would have been a tough fight, but all three of them together, the people of God have no chance, no shot. I mean, let's just talk about this in terms of sports. The Falcons, they're going to lose regardless. Amen? <laughs> like, they're just going to lose. Like, welcome to Atlanta where the players don't play. All right? Like, that's Atlanta sports. But if you get the Panthers and the Saints and the Patriots together to face the Falcons, they ain't got no shot. They're going to look like the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets out there. Okay? <laughs> if you didn't know, that's an engineering school. Not exactly great on the gridiron. Okay? No shot for the people of God. 
three armies have confederated together. And here's the thing that's so unique is that we learn from the intelligence report that King Jehoshaphat gets that, that he didn't expect this attack to come, that he was blindsided by it that it came out of nowhere. These three nations confederated together and they took a lesser known route. They took a reverse back doorway in. They crossed over the Dead Sea and now they're in the area of the Ingeti, some 25 miles away from the people of God. 25 miles away from the people of God. Um, many commentators and historians would say that an army of this um, nature, an army of this size and this terrain, it would only take them three days to march 25 miles and to make it to the people of Judah to overthrow them. And, and, and so this should let you know today that you might not see it coming, but problems always find new paths into your life. You might not see it today. You might not think that you're facing a battle today, but I promise you, even if you can't see it, it might be at your back door tomorrow. Problems have a way of finding new paths, backdoor routes into our lives, and we get blindsided by them. And the king, Jehoshaphat, he is blindsided by this battle. He did not see it coming. Even if he wanted to, he doesn't have any time to prepare. He doesn't have any time to sit down with his military leaders and think. He doesn't have time to strategize and get people in the right places. He is out of time and out of options. You may find yourself in a battle like that today where it's coming and it's coming now where the bill is due. It is past due. The diagnosis has been read and there is not much time. Your spouse, they have moved out and checked into a hotel. Your top employee turned in their two weeks and you don't know where to go. The deadline is creeping in on you and you are out of options. You find yourself in a situation where you're going, I don't know what to do. And I don't know how much longer I can keep doing this. I don't know how much longer I can keep fighting off these things that keep coming out of nowhere, army after army. Do I have what it takes to keep on going? It's where King Jehoshaphat finds himself. He doesn't know what to do. And let me ask you, what do you do when a great army has come against you? What do you do when the things that you've been trusting in get taken away from you? What do you do? Where do you go when you don't know what to do? This is the position that we find ourselves in as a church today of going, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what you want for us. I don't know where you want us to go. And it's in that space, in that place that King Jehoshaphat does what he's known for. He pulls off a military move. He does something that is unconventional and that is unexpected and that is mind-blowing. It's not what anybody would expect or anticipate, but it's what, he's, what he does and what he becomes famous for. Let me show you. Verse 3, then Jehoshaphat was afraid and he set his face to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah and Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. What does he do? He seeks the Lord. Three times it says he seeks the Lord. They seek the Lord. They came to seek the Lord. What does he do when he doesn't know what to do? He seeks the Lord. Instead of sinking in the quicksand of fear, he seeks the Lord instead. Where do you go? What do you do when you don't know what to do? He doesn't try to form a strategy to save his people. He gets his eyes on the one from whom salvation comes. This is what Jehoshaphat realizes that I need you to realize today that you are limited, but that God is limitless that you don't have all the answers, but that God is all-knowing, that you may be out of time, but that God is outside of time. For him, a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day, and if he wants to, he can make the sun stand still. And so we, we're gonna seek the Lord. This is what this is all about. You know that, right? This is the reason that we get together on Sunday mornings. This is the reason that we gather together as the people of God. This isn't a pep rally. This is a seek the Lord rally. This is a, we wanna find the Lord, find the will of the Lord, encounter the Lord, hear from the Lord, do business with the Lord. We're here 
to seek the Lord. This is why Sabbath matters. This is why Sundays matter. You, you know that very often the battle isn't actually the battle. Rarely is the battle that you think you're fighting the battle that you actually need to be fighting. You see, a lot of us lose battles out there in the world because we fail to first fight the battle of seeking the Lord in here. We don't seek the Lord well, and so then we're not prepared for the battles that we face. And, and Jehoshaphat goes, I've got nowhere else to go, nowhere else to turn, don't know what else to do, and so I am going to seek the Lord. And notice he doesn't seek the Lord alone. Notice that he invites the entire nation of Judah in. You see, so often we carry and we fight battles that God has given us people to fight them with. Are you letting people in to pray for your battles? Are you inviting people to hold you accountable? Do you have somebody who's willing to hold your arms up when you can't hold them up any longer on your own? Is there somebody who is praying for your secret sin, who is praying in your difficulties, who is praying that that thing that you've been hoping for and waiting for and, and longing for would come to fruition? Is there, is there somebody that you're inviting in to fight the battle with you? I love that he doesn't fight it alone, that he, he calls the entire nation and people from all over the nation of Judah, they come to the capital city for one purpose, to seek the Lord, to seek the Lord. They get this picture, okay, we're done. We are out of options. It's over if the Lord doesn't show up. And so they seek the Lord. There are three nations that are coming against them and they're out of options and so they've got to turn and they've got to do something and in the same way that they that king jehoshaphat he invites people in i want to invite you in today i mean we've been talking about it all week i'm sure in some ways you're probably like on pins and needles a special announcement everywhere like is this a real special announcement or are you guys just going to tell us that we're doing 21 nights of church again like what's going on is this a special, like a real special announcement? Or are you guys just telling us that you've got a new t-shirt that you want to sell us? Like, like what's going on? I, I want to let you into today about what's really going on and what's happening about the battle that we're really facing. But before I tell you about that battle, I want to tell you how we're going to fight. I want to tell you how we're going to fight. They've got three armies that are coming against them, and they do three things in response. They pray, they fast, and they worship. This is what the people of God do when we don't know what to do. We get on our knees, and we get in God's face. Uh, I love what one pastor said. It says that God loves to pay attention to those people who are willing to bother him who are willing to bother him, who are willing to go, hey, God, do you see this? Do you see what's happening and what we're going through? We need you. And so he prays. The king prays. And I, I love his prayer. His prayer is actually a quote from the dedication of Solomon's temple. And it's a great outline for prayer for you and me because this is what the people of God do when we don't know what to do is we don't panic, we pray. Prayer isn't a last resort. It is our first option. And so he begins to pray and, and he asks these three questions. Did you catch it? Did you see these three questions? He goes, are you not? Did you not? Will you not? It's a great outline for prayer. Who God is, what God's done, what God is capable of doing. Are you not? Oh God, are you not? I love that we just went through Mosaic, don't you? That we just went through Mosaic and we know who our God is. Are you not the great rabbi? Are you not the Lord of heaven and earth? Are you not the son of man and son of God? Are you not Emmanuel, God with us? We know who you are. And did you not? Did you not? You see, part of prayer, what we do in prayer, is we remind ourselves of the past to inform our future. We remind ourselves of where, what God has done and how far God has brought us to believe in how far God will take us. So did you not, did you not do this? Did you not lead us this far? Did you not defend us in the past? Did you not rescue us from Egypt? Did you not? And then finally, will you not? It is not today a question of whether or not God can. It is a question of if he will. I want for you to know that obstacles, the battles, whatever battle you're facing right now in your life, whatever thing seems like it is impossible to overcome, it feels so big to you, I want for you to know it is nothing for him. Yeah. 
He can overcome it in an instant. He led, he is the God who makes sidewalks out of seas. He is the God who was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. He led the people out of Egypt. He's been doing it for thousands of years. It is not a question of if he can. It is a question of if he will. Will you not? Will you not show up? And then here it is. This is his ultimate strategy. This is where he ultimately stakes his cards. He says, verse 12, for we are powerless to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Those are 12 words to live by right there. If you don't have some words to live by, I wanna give you those today for we are powerless to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We got no power. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. You know, it's been extremely revealing to me this week what our propensity and our tendency is to do when we don't know what to do, like where we go first. It's been revealing in my own heart where I should go, but where I actually go when I really find my back against the wall. And I wonder if anybody can tell me today, why do we exhaust every single option before we go to God? (laughs) Why do we try to do it completely in our own strength before we ever go to him? And tell me this, why do we pray and ask God to step in, but then stress like it's still our responsibility? Why do we say, hey, God, please, please, please take care of it. Break in, do your thing. You've been doing it for thousands of years. Do it right here today in my life. But then panic and worry and stress and stay anxious. Why do we do that? Where do your eyes go? Help me with this, church. Where do your eyes go when you're looking at the problem and it's so big you don't know what to do? Do they they go down to your bootstraps? Do you try to pull them up and say, all right, I got this. I'm gonna keep on trucking. Do they turn to experts in the industry and go, okay, what would you do? What have you done? What do you think that I should do? Do your eyes go to bury your head in the quicksand, bury your head in the sand and just act like none of this is real. I'm just gonna go curl up in my bed in my pajamas, my banana pajamas and hold my stuffed animal because I'm all scared and it's not real and I'm just gonna sleep this off and it'll be fine tomorrow and mama needs a glass of wine. Is that what you do? Where do your eyes go when you don't know what to do? Because I'm trying to get your eyes off of the problem and onto the solution. I'm trying to get your eyes off of the situation and onto the savior who can actually save and sustain. That's what King Jehoshaphat says. He goes, I don't know what to do, but I know where I need to put my eyes. I don't know where I'm going, but I know who I'm looking at. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds my future. I don't know what I'm gonna do with this depression, this anxiety, this uncertainty, with this deep agonizing pain, but my eyes, I know where I'm putting them. I'm putting them on he who saves. Listen, God works powerfully in the life of those people who confess how much they need him. I I, I love that this is a confession. We don't know what to do. Are you you there yet? Or do you still secretly think you're gonna figure it out? I think that we stay stuck in a lot of battles, lose a lot of battles, because in the back of our minds, we're like, nah, nah, I probably got this. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna probably figure this out. I'm gonna probably be able to come up with a solution. I'm gonna probably be able to work hard enough, strategize enough, budget enough. I'm gonna get out from under this. No, 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 it's a beautiful thing when you realize, no, I, I ain't got it. I need you, God. And God works powerfully in people who realize how much they need him. Now, the king, he didn't deny the facts. You notice that, right? No, there's, there's an army coming against us. He didn't act like it wasn't gonna happen. He's a realist, okay? He just, he realized that he couldn't do anything and that he needed God to step in, that God was all powerful, that God was all knowing and that God was ultimately able. You see, wise people, what they do is they glance at the problem, but they gaze at God. They glance at the problem. They look, okay, it's there. I see it, I acknowledge it, but I'm gonna get my eyes on the one who can fix it. And so let's glance at the problem real quick. On December 21st, we got an unexpected email out of nowhere after months of trying to sort some things out. We got this email that said that effective following December 24th, we would no longer be able to meet at the Marriott. 
that after having a contract with them for over a year, that they would not be extending a contract to us in 2022. Now, after a, um, an email and a phone call where they saw, how shall I say, the unsanctified side of Joey McLaughlin, we got to meet here today, but today is our last day at the Marriott. And in total transparency, we don't know where we're going to meet as a church long-term next. Guys, the last couple of weeks have been full of some of the most grit, some of the most complex problem solving that I've ever tried to be a part of. We have knocked on every single door in this city. We have knocked on hotel after hotel after hotel. We have gone to community centers and to gyms and performing arts centers and movie theaters and theaters and Jewish centers. We went and knocked on the door of the State Farm Building like, yo, y'all got somewhere we can do church up in here? Like, this place is huge. Can we just like borrow somewhere, please? Like literally, like just everywhere, we've done everything we know to do. We try to meet in schools. They're not, Fulton County schools aren't renting space because of the pandemic. Uh, DeKalb County schools aren't renting space because of the pandemic. We got a real estate agent and have seen so many properties. And we're looking at, like we, we were even like, we'll go anywhere. Maybe God's trying to move our church to Alabama, okay? Like, I don't know, but like, we'll just go, where do you want us to go? And we're looking at all of these properties and and every single person, like we get right up to the edge and they're like, ah, it's a church. We don't want you to meet here. We're like, you knew we were a church in the beginning. <laughs> but, but, but literally we just got turned down after space, after space, after space, after space. I, I just find myself today before you just out of options. I was on my knees going, God, like, are, are you even in this? Did I hear from you, from you wrong? Like, like, did you really want us to go to Sandy Springs? Did you really want a church in this generation? Or like, was Eric Wilcox right? Were we supposed to go to Duluth? Duluth. That's a joke from Night Church. This guy, he came and led worship and he's like, God, I just love what you're doing right here where we're at in the city of Duluth, okay? <laughs> he had no clue where we were. <laughs> it was awesome. So I was like, maybe that was prophetic, right? Maybe we're supposed to go to Duluth. I don't know. But literally, I was just like, God, what do, you, what do you want? Because I've been waiting 30 years of my life, definitely 15 years of my life to do this. I've wanted to plant a church since I was like a fetus, okay? And so, and so here we are, and I just feel like it's just wall after wall. Like the journey has already been insane. We met in like some sketchy, shady government building basement. Y'all remember Heritage? And then we met in a movie theater with a bar in it. Who does that? And, and, and now we're in a hotel, like a ballroom. There's some sketchy people at this hotel. Can we, I'm, we're leaving now, so let's just get it out there. It smells like weed here, okay? Ain't no high like the most high other than weed, all right? Man, I've been begging God. <laughs> Y'all are just seeing it today, okay? This is just me. Be transparent, they say. Show people who you are, they say. Man, we've been begging God that he would bring young families to our church, that we would get to see, you know, families who have like kids because those people have money and can pay the bills. You know what I'm saying? And so we've been begging God for people like that to come. And I'm like, I kind of get why you don't. Like, this is kind of a sketchy place. You're like, there's a hotel room there. My kids, are they going to drown in that pool? Like, what is happening here? Okay. Like, I get it. I get it. And it's, it's, it's been a grind. And I mean, we've seen God do so many incredible things here. If, I, if I'm honest, we really have. Like 21 nights in a row we met here all over the place, like in, a, like in a hotel room it felt like, you know, one night. And, and we saw people get released from addictions here, people who were enslaved to alcoholism and to pornography and to um, promiscuity, and they just got released here in this space, in this building. We've seen so many people raise their hand and give their life to Jesus right here in this building. We've seen people get baptized in that hotel swimming pool, cross from death to life, give their life to Jesus. Their story with Jesus start here. We've seen people who were disconnected, not connected in church go, no, no, I'm gonna get back connected in this church, this meeting in a Marriott. And we've seen people begin to take God's word really seriously here to go, oh man, this church, like they preach the Bible. They don't play games with God's word. They're not just trying to, to, to put on a performance. They're trying to see a movement of disciples who make disciples begin. 
We've seen people just get really serious about their faith. It's been so good, like all the stories that we could tell and the victory, man, the moments of worship that we've gotten to be a part of in here where the band, like they just go off, they just keep going and singing. And I'm like, guys, like people get mad. I'm gonna preach long. We already know that. Y'all can't sing long, okay? (laughs) But moments of just like powerful worship where like people are like, man, like I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do, I'm I'm gonna do, I'm gonna lift my hands, right? Like for the first time. We've seen it happen here. God has been so good and so faithful that in the middle of a pandemic, guys, I've got friends, so many friends who are in the church planning game, pastors all over the country, and they made it. They made it these last two years. They've, they've thrown it in and they've given up. They've thrown in the towel. It's been too hard and too difficult and nobody's coming to church anymore. And the fact that ours is growing is mind blowing. And I'm going, God, give us a place to meet. There's no place, there's nowhere to go, nothing to do. I don't know what to do. And so all that's left to do is to get our eyes on him. You see this whole week, the last several days, all I've been doing is focusing on the problem. And, and then God led me to this story just by the grace of his Holy Spirit. And I, I just began to believe that when you shift your focus off of the problem and onto the one who can solve it, that things begin to change. And then it gives you the ability to win the battle that you cannot win on your own. And so what King Jehoshaphat does is he calls his people to a fast because nothing shifts your focus quite like a fast. Fasting is something different. And what I want to do is I want to call our people to a fast. It's, it's a really interesting strategy that he looks at this enemy, this big military that's coming against him, three armies coming against him, way bigger, way stronger. And he goes, all right, guys, you know what we're going to do? Nobody eat. No snacks. Nothing, no eating. And I'm just going like, what is going on in that? And what King Jehoshaphat realizes is that he longs for spiritual strength more than he longs for physical strength. Because when you eat, you're filling up your energy to try to do it on your own. But when you're fasting and you're not eating, you're going, God, I've got to get my supply from you and you've got to be the one who comes through. Fasting is a weapon of grace. Fasting is a weapon of grace and it's been a discipline of this movement of Christianity all the way back to our roots of Judaism. I don't know if you know this or not, but Christianity, the Judeo-Christian faith, it's the oldest religion in the world. And it's, it's the one that developed this idea of fasting, this art form. It's so weird and unique that we would go, I'm not gonna eat for a period of time. The thing that I require to live, I am not going to do because I am not of this world. I am of another world. And, and, and this pattern, this rhythm of fasting is such a weapon of grace. Fasting is a hunger strike against hell. Fasting fast tracks prayer. Fasting unleashes God's blessings. Fasting searches searches and seeks for um, ver- uh, uh, vertical answers to horizontal problems. That's what fasting does is it, is it gets God involved in the game. Fasting invites God to step in. It shows our dependency upon him. And so I'm calling our people to a fast. Now, if you've never fasted before, uh, let me also say this. You know, a lot of times we invite you into a fast. Like, like, like the 24-hour one where we're like, hey, we're crazy. We're gonna stay for 24 hours and fast. Y'all should do it with us. You're invited if you'd like. That's not what this is. I'm like, no, I need you to do this with me. Like, like a pastoral moment, we so lost, like, and I get it because pastors have abused people before, but, but we've kind of lost this idea of spiritual authority in our life. And like, I've got spiritual authority in my life and you need spiritual authority in your life. And sometimes you need somebody to tell you what to do because you're stu- too, too dumb and you won't do it yourself, right? It's just true. You're like, nah, I ain't gonna fast. I really like Doritos, okay? And so you need somebody to go, hey, hey, but what if God's got more for you than Doritos? And, and what if God's actually placed a prayer in your heart for a battle that you're facing that you would actually long to see victory in more than you just wanna eat lunch tomorrow? And, and so I'm calling you to a fast. And what fasting is, if you've never done it before, it's where you don't eat for a period of time and you don't eat for a period of time in order to devote yourself to prayer. 
to prayer. Like, it's not just not eating, okay? Because let me say it like this. Like, 1% of fasting is not eating. 99% of fasting is devoting yourself wholly to the Lord. Like, if you take the time that we're gonna talk about, the time that we're gonna fast, and you just don't eat, but you don't pray, you're not fasting, you're just hungry, okay? And so we're talking about taking the time, this time where we would usually rely on food to fill us up and take that time for God to fill us up, to, to focus our attention on him. So fasting, just, just for biblical discipleship for a second, it's, it always involves food, okay? Um, like, I see some of you guys out there and you're like, oh, guys, it's 2022 and I'm going to fast from social media. I want for you to know that, that that's not a fast. That's just called being an adult. OK, like like I'm not going to be on social media for a couple of days. All right. Oh, did I say that? Like, I'm sorry, but it's true. OK, like biblically, fasting always involves food. OK, and. I'm not telling you that it's not good to not be on social media for a period of time. That's good. That's just called abstaining, okay? Um, fasting is where you go, I'm not going to eat food. And there's a couple of different kinds of fasts. There are whole fasts where there's no food and no water. No food and no water. That's crazy, okay? Um, and then there's the more common version of fasting, which is a partial fast, which is no food but water. Or my version of it, no food and water and coffee. Hello, okay, hallelujah. Um, and uh, so I'm calling our church to like a partial fast that for, um, for a period of time, we're gonna have this partial fast. And here's the way that we're gonna do it is we're gonna do the Jewish Hebrew form of fasting that we see in the Bible is sun up to sundown, sun up to sundown. So what it means is that if the sun isn't up, you can eat. And once the sun goes down, you can eat. But so long as it's light outside, you can't eat, okay? Sun up to sundown. Now you can't reverse that and be like, I'm gonna fast sundown to sun up, okay? Like that don't count, all right? I'm gonna give you an opportunity to modify it maybe later, but, but for now, that one don't count, okay? Now, how long are we gonna do this, Joey? How long are we not gonna eat and just focus this time on prayer and fasting and asking God? We're gonna do it for 22 days. Now, like one person is excited about that, okay? <laughs> one person is excited about that. The rest is like, whoa there, cowboy, all right? You had me, preacher man, I'm out. <laughs> 22 days, why 22 days? Well, number one, it's like the year 2022, so I just thought that was creative. Um, secondarily, you know, you'll see a lot of churches this time of year, and I don't really know why. I looked throughout the Bible to try to find it, but a lot of churches will fast for 21 days. I don't know why. And so we're going to do 22 days because we're one better than all of them, all right? And um, uh, another reason is because in, um, uh, if you look at the date starting tomorrow, I'm calling you to start this fast tomorrow on January the 10th. Going 22 days will take us to the last day in January, January 31st. So we'll fast the rest of this month. That's just coincidence or God's sovereignty. I don't know. Um, and so 22 days feels right to, to take the rest of this first month and fast and commit it to the Lord, sun up to sundown. And, and, and just once more, one more time for clarity, you can eat so long as you wake up before the sun comes up and you can eat after the sun goes down, but the sun is out, you can't eat. Okay. And then um, the, the final reason is because second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 22, you get it 2022. Okay. All right. I, see, I think you see what I'm doing there. It says this, which I love, it says, and when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against them, so they were routed. It's in verse 22 that the people begin to worship God and that God begins to win the war for them. And so I think that at the end of 22 days, in some way, and I don't know, I'm believing for it, that God's gonna begin to win this war for us. And so we're gonna fast for 22 days. Is anybody excited about that, church? Anybody into that? Now, here's what I know is that, like, for some of you, this is going to be the most intense spiritual step you've ever taken in your whole life. It's going to require more discipline than you've ever done it before. And, and what I know is that, man, some of you guys, maybe you're pregnant or you're breastfeeding or you're a diabetic or you intensely work out. And I get those things. I totally do. And so I would encourage you to um, modify your fast. In the book of Daniel, um, the Daniel is, uh, does this proposition before the king where he and his men only eat fruits and vegetables for 10 days and then these other men they eat you know meat and protein and protein shakes I don't know if they had those back then but they eat all that kind of stuff to fill themselves up and God's people are still stronger and so if you need to modify the fast and do like a Daniel fast where you eat fruits and vegetables I, I get it like do what you need to do um, 
but don't use the flesh as an excuse, okay? Where there is a will, there is a way. And if you need to modify this in some version, but, but I'm just telling you, you need to fast. What, what we're going to be doing, our team, man, we're going to be fasting for 22 days, sent up to sundown. And I invite you in. And, and yeah, it may be one of the biggest spiritual battles you've ever faced. It also may be one of the biggest spiritual blessings you ever encounter. I also think this, what a cool way for 22 days when you're at lunch or dinner or whatever it may be and you're not eating and somebody's going, why aren't you eating? Like, because they're going to pick up on it over 22 days. Like you can hide a one day fast, 22 days. They're like, do we need to talk? You know? And so you, you tell them, you go, yeah, I'm actually a part of this church and they're a little crazy. Um, but, but we lost our space and we're fasting and praying and asking God to break through and to step in. And, and honestly, I've never done anything like this before, but it's really changing everything about how I see God. It's making my faith really practical and tangible. You see, what we oftentimes, what we wanna do is we've turned faith into just intellect and emotion. And we've divorced physical action from our faith. We will we'll say things like, I feel humble, so I don't need to get on my knees and worship. Uh-oh. Like I feel connected to God and I feel thankful so I don't need to lift my arms because I just feel, I feel it on the inside. But don't you know that throughout the Bible, a lot of times what God demands is he demands a physical act of obedience. Peter had to get out of the boat. Matthew had to get up from the tax booth. They had to step in. And fasting is one of those signs. It is one of those acts of physical obedience that opens God's eyes, that puts us on God's map. And I'm asking you to do it. I'm asking you to do it. I think it's gonna be a great demonstration to make your faith practical, to make your faith practical. Now, let me say this. Fasting isn't going to like win us favor with God. Like God doesn't just give his blessings just because we do things. That's not the way that God works. Like his grace is always just a free gift. However, God does do business with people who mean business. He does, let, let me prove it to you with the Bible because that's a great statement, but let me prove it in scripture. Uh, Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse nine says this, for the eyes of the Lord, he's looking, run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. God is looking for people who are looking for him. This is the way, like God is attracted to weakness. Did you know that? Like, <laughs> it is his law of attraction to move towards people who confess their desperate need for him. And if fasting gets us on God's radar, I'm willing to do it. If fasting lets God look to and fro and find a group of people who say we need you more than food and we'll do it for 22 days, then I'm willing to do it to get on God's radar. Amen? God is looking for people who are looking to him. The other reason is this is, Man, we gotta stop looking for natural solutions to supernatural problems. I try so hard to figure this out in the natural. I tried so hard to move locations. I tried so hard, I did everything I knew to do and we gotta stop looking for natural solutions to supernatural problems. We gotta remember whose battle this really is in the first place, amen? Let me show you this, Second Chronicles, Verse 13 says this, meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. I love that. This is a family affair. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazel. I don't know if that's how you say that or not. The son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asph in the midst of the assembly. Now, why would I read all those names? Why wouldn't I just skip over that part? All of those names represent generations back where God was faithful to the family in the past, proving that he's been faithful to bring them this far. He'll be faithful to carry them through, amen? And he said, listen, all Judah. And, and I love this. I love that the spirit of the Lord comes upon somebody else. That um, Jehoshaphat, he calls the fast, but then the spirit of the Lord comes upon somebody else. And I believe that that may happen to one of you that, man, I'm calling us to this fast, but God's spirit could come upon you and you could go, hey, I know where we can meet. Hey, hey, God, God's opened the door and I know where we could start to do church. Maybe that's gonna happen. Or maybe the spirit of the Lord is gonna come upon you and you're gonna go, hey, I need to start to sow in to give. 
Because you, you know what's not an option is fasting, prayer, and giving. Jesus says it in um, the Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't say if. He goes, when you pray, pray like this. When you fast, fast like this. And when you give, give like this. And maybe one of you guys, as you're doing the things that he's told you that you need to do, fasting and praying, he's going to tell you that you also need to start giving and sowing in so that we can have a center for ministry in this city so that we can have a place to call home, be a church that never sleeps, a city on a hill. And, and maybe the spirit of the Lord is gonna come upon you and use you in that way. But this is what he said, verse 15, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jerul. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. I think that the Lord brought me here this morning to remind you that the battle that you're facing right now, it's not yours. It belongs to the Lord, that he wants to fight for you, that he wants to step in. And this battle that we are facing as a church, it's not ours either. It belongs to the Lord. Listen to me. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He didn't say Joey would build his church and he didn't say the staff would build his church and he didn't say a dream team would build his church. He said, I will build my church. And he said, the gates of hell can't prevail against it, which means a pandemic can't stop it. The Marriott can't stand in the way. A budget isn't gonna hold us back. A building isn't gonna stop us. Jesus is building his church. This is his battle to fight. This is his fight to step into. The battle, the battle may be bigger than you, but it's not bigger than God. Whatever battle you're going through today, whatever anxiety that you're feeling, whatever pressure that is pushing down on you, it may feel like the weight of the world, but he holds the whole world in the palm of his hand. It's not too big for him. It's not too big for God. The battle belongs to the Lord. It says, do not be afraid. Some of you guys, maybe you're panicking. What are we going to do? Like, am I going to have to find a new church? I don't want to find a new church. I finally found a church I love. Where am I going to go next Sunday? What's going to happen? Don't be afraid. It says it right there. Do not be afraid. There is this great infection of fear in our generation. And, and that phrase, do not be afraid. Did you know that that phrase is the foremost command in the Bible? Do not be afraid. It appears th exactly 365 times in the Bible. Do not be afraid. 365 times telling us that there is enough support for every fear of every day. Amen? That no matter what fear that day brings, that God has the strength to carry you through it. 365 times. We're not going to be a people who are afraid. We're going to be a people who exercise the muscle of faith. It's a muscle. It's going to take some, some, some grit to have this kind of faith. It's going to take some defiance, some pressing in, some, I'm not going to give up. I'm not just going to believe you, God, when it's easy, but I'm going to believe you, God, when it's hard. And I'm going to trust you when I don't see it. And I'm going to follow you where you're leading me, even if I don't like it. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to exercise this muscle of faith. I love what one pastor said. He said, uh, man's extremity is God's opportunity. Man's extremity, when we find ourselves in extreme situations, it's an opportunity for God to break in. And we're in an extreme situation. And I believe that there's an opportunity for God to break in, for him to show that the odds may be against us, but that he is absolutely for us. So what happens in the battle, Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 20 says this, and they rose early in the morning. Some of you guys are gonna be rising early in the morning to eat breakfast. And they went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. That's not Tekoa, Georgia, I promise. Nobody wants to go there. <laughs> and when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, 
He appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Now I told you that they had three armies coming against them and they did three things. They prayed, we talked about that. They fasted, we talked about that and they worshiped. Could you imagine this being the battle plan? Like just try to put yourself in the king's and in the people's shoes. Great army coming against you. Battle strategy, let's talk about it. Who are we sending to the front lines? Is it gonna be the archers? Is it gonna be the swordsmen? Is it gonna be the chariots? Nah, it's gonna be the choir. Get the choir out there. Dress them up in their choir robes. Send them out there. What are they gonna do? Throw hymnals at them? Like what's the, like what's the sing off key? Like Joey, like what's gonna happen? What's the game plan? Like, let's send our worship leaders out there with their strategically placed tattoos and skinny jeans, you know? I never called a trombone player for backup. You know what I'm talking about? I've never been like, hey, you who play bass guitar, I gotta fight, can you come help me? Like, never. It's not the way that it usually rolls, but this is what God does. He goes, I want for you to get your worshipers the people who take me seriously, who care about me more than anything else. I want for you to put them on the front lines and I want for you to watch what happens next. They worship and we're gonna be a people who worship in the midst of this because praise causes powerful things to happen. Praise causes powerful things to happen. Verse 22, and when they began to sing praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir who'd come against Judah so that they were routed for the men of Ammon And Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. You know, we usually, we worship after God brings blessing. We don't usually want to praise before God wins the battle. Like when is the last time that the praise of God was on your lips before his helping hand showed up in your life? When is the last time that you started praising him for what you knew he was going to do before he did it? When's the last time that you worshiped in the valley? You may find yourself today in a valley, in a valley that feels like the valley of the shadow of death, where it feels like, man, Joey, this is so real to me right now. I've got three things in my life that are coming against me and it feels very overwhelming and I really don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm here to tell you today that you need to pray your way through and worship your way out, that it is your own only hope that in the valley that it is time to pray and it is time to worship and it is time to believe and it's time to praise God not just for what he does but for who he is so often we we do praise like it's just this like pep rally thanksgiving thing to God like God thank you so much for what you did but you know that who he is is way greater than the things that he does that his character is unchanging that he is holy that he dwells in unapproachable light that there is no one like him in heaven or on earth that he is the highest king the incomparable one for who has known the mind of the Lord Who has given to him a gift that he might be repaid for from him and to him and through him are all things. To him be the glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Sometimes we just praise God because we go, God, you're awesome even if my situation isn't. You know, sometimes you got to give God a sacrifice of praise. Because the hardest praise is usually the highest praise. Praising God when you don't want to and don't feel like it proves who you believe him to be in your life. I'm not feeling like you're for me right now, God, and I'm not feeling like this life is working out for me, but, but I'm gonna praise you because you are enough. You are enough when the situation isn't what I want it to be. Sometimes you gotta give God a sacrifice of praise, and that's what the people do. I love that they praise him dirt before the battle, during the battle, and then after the battle. And I love, I love, I don't know if you caught this or not, I love that the enemy turned on each, each other. I love that they turned on each other and started to fight. Commentators tell us that the sound of the, uh, of the worshipers coming forward, what likely happened is that they hear this loud sound of worship and it confuses the three armies and they think that they're under attack and so they begin to attack each other. They hear the sound of worship, that becomes a weapon and they start to destroy each other. I love that. I love that truly the Lord fights the battle for them, that they never have to step down in the battlefield. They never even have to get their hands dirty. All they have to do is pray, fast, worship, and seek the Lord, and he fights the battle on their behalf. They turn in on each other, and they destroy each other. There's an incredible moment like this in American history, and I want to close with this today. 
uh, Joshua Chamberlain on July 2nd, 1863, in the middle of the Civil War, had his 300-person army stationed in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, against 6,000 troops from the Confederacy. And after they held off the Confederacy, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, but six times, they were running low on ammunition and without options. Chamberlain says, in this moment, I truly didn't know what to do, but I knew I had to do something. And so what Chamberlain and his men do is they, with one round of ammunition left in their rifles, turn their uh, turn their bayonets towards the opposing army, rush down the hill, yelling and screaming, take the army by surprise, capture the army, and it turns the tides of the Civil War. I love what, um, what he says when asked about this moment. Chamberlain later said, I had, listen to this, deep within me, the inability to do more nothing. I couldn't do more nothing. I couldn't do more just waiting and hoping I had to do something. And so I knew that I may die, but I also knew that I would not die with a bullet in my back. And I want for you to know that we're gonna be the kind of church, Elevate City, that if this thing goes down, we ain't going down with a bullet in our back. We're not going down because we took the easy way out. We, we are here believing that, that for such a time as this, that God is gonna build something in this city and we're willing to get gritty. We're willing to get our hands dirty. We're willing to fast and pray and seek the Lord to see him do something supernatural. The story of this battle closes like this, verse 24, when Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, this is so good, they looked toward the horde and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground and none had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take the spoil, they found among them in great numbers, goods, clothing, and precious things which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. Listen to this part. They were there three days in taking spoils. It was so much. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barak for they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the valley of Barak to this day. I love that the place of the battle becomes the place of the blessing. That there are three armies and that, that are three days away and that at the end of the war, once they pray, fast, pray, and worship, they, they got to spend three days picking up blessings. I'm here to remind you today that before something ever becomes the place of a blessing, it is the place of a battle. That the battles that you're fighting in your life right now, I believe God is going to bring blessing on blessing on blessing. The question is if you're willing to trust Him, if you're willing to seek Him, if you're willing to press in. I believe that God is preparing a table for you in the presence of your enemies. I believe that it looks right now like the army is closing in and caving in and you don't know what to do. And I'm just here to ask you today, will you get your eyes on the one who can? So this is what we're gonna do is we're gonna pray. We're gonna fast. We're gonna worship as a church. Right now, there are gonna be people in the aisles who come and they pass out this card to you. And it's this card that talks about follow season and it talks about what we're going to be doing over the next 22 days. And it's asking you to commit to pray and to fast for three things. Number one, she would pray and fast for a building for Elevate City Church. She would ask God to give us a place to call home. Number two, we're going to not just fast for ourselves because we're not a selfish church. We are a selfless church who always wants to have our eyes on the world around us. And so we wanna fast for our Milton campus, Stone Creek. They're finishing out a beyond initiative, a, a generosity initiative that actually gave the seed money, the startup funds for Elevate City Church to exist. And we wanna fast and pray and ask that we would, they would finish that campaign strong. And then finally, you've got a personal battle that I believe that God wants to turn into a place of blessing. I don't know what it is. Maybe you didn't see it coming, but at the start of this year, you have found yourself in over your head and you need to see God step in and show up. I want for you to commit to pray and to fast for that. Three things over the next 22 days. And, and, and what's gonna happen in just a second is the band's gonna come and we're gonna worship. And hey, look right at me. Don't go get your kids. Don't go get your kids. 
Don't check out, don't head to lunch, don't go to that appointment, show up late to that because I believe that in this moment you need to do business with God. That this isn't just some performance or some I got my Jesus thing in for this day, that this is spiritual warfare. And I want for you to worship, I want for you to think about that commitment. And then during worship, come and take that card as a sign of commitment and just come and lay it on the stage. It's just making an altar, a sacrifice of praise of saying, I'm in for 22 days. I'm gonna be on my face seeking the Lord, believing that he's gonna do something in our city and in my situation and in this generation and worship. Worship God, believing that he is going to fight this battle for us, believing that he's going to, to, to bring an answer to this problem that we're facing. And then what's gonna happen is once we get done worshiping, I'm gonna get back up here at the end. It's a teaser right now. I'm gonna get back up here at the end and I'm gonna tell you what we're doing next. I'm gonna tell you where we're going from here, but you're not gonna know unless you stay and you worship your face off and you get in God's face and you ask him to show up on behalf of our church. So I'll tell you where we're going and what we're doing, but what we need to do first is we need to worship, amen? We need to give him the praise that is due his name, not just for what he does, but for who he is. Get on your feet and let's pray together. God, I love you. And I believe that today is a significant moment in the life of every believer in this room. That today faith is being made real. Faith is getting practical. God, I pray that people would encounter your spirit in ways that they never have before, that, they, that this would be a crossroads kind of moment. Am I willing to do this for God? Do I really believe this stuff? Am I really willing to trust him and lean in with him and not just give him lip service, but give him life service? And God, I believe that this is gonna create a culture of worship of people who see how great you are, that you are the God who answers prayer, that you are the God who delivers, that you are the God in the valley and that you're the God on the mountaintop. And so God, I pray that a heart of praise would rise up in this house today, a heart of gratitude and expectation, believe in you for what you've done and believe in you for what you're gonna do. You are so worthy, Jesus. And I love and I believe your promise to build your church. And all God's people said, amen.